Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is dedicated to the memory of Chavo Guerrero Sr. At the beginning, we like to talk about the legacy of the Guerrero family is what we did, but I want to talk about with you, what would you say at the end of the day you're going to leave on professional wrestling? Like you said, you're on your way to Japan in two weeks, but what is it that Chavo Guerrero Sr. is going to leave on professional wrestling when he is done for good? Yeah, well, we'll see when I'm done, and then you, I'll let you know I'm not done yet. I'm still Chavo Guerrero. I'm the original Chavo Guerrero, and I'm still around. They're still, you know, hell, who, who would have thought I'd be wrestling at 67 and still doing a good job and still working out. The Lord has blessed me, man, and I'm enjoying it. So, hey, who knows? I'm not going to I'm not gonna <laughs> foretell my legacy, brother. Hey, I'm still around, man. So why do I leave? Respect. Respect. Have the wrestlers respect. Especially the, the the veterans, man, the ones that paved the way for you. Uh, have respect for this business. Be jealous about it. Uh, you know, be caring about it. Be professional. This business is, it means a lot to us, man. So you know, that's I don't like people disrespecting my business, especially a wrestler. Those are the guys I love to wrestle in the ring and slap the shit out of them without the people knowing that I'm doing it. Because they didn't come to see a fight, they came to see a wrestling match. So you slap shit out of them and then hide it and make it look like it's storyline. So, having said that, uh, I, that I, you know, just, you know, hey, I'm not the one to pay my, 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 my story. To have the people be their own judges. Some people like me, some people don't. But my wrestling has always been there. My wrestling is good. And that's what I get paid for. So my work is good and and I'm a professional doing that. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the Two Man Power Trip. Oh my God! This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the Prince of Pro Wrestling, and you are listening to Two Man Power Trip. This is Jimmy Van the Boogie Woogie Man. Tell my people, my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there, this is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid up, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs>
They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now, they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Jazz, the two men power trip of wrestling. Dave Meltzer. Dave, you're an editor of the Wrestling Observer, uh, which is what? The New York Times of Wrestling? You guys will agree that the mainstream folks really haven't had a whole lot of time for any kind of probe or serious attention to wrestling. Isn't that so? Well, I think that that's, uh, wrestling in general has never gotten its due um, <laughs> recognition as far as um, in its, its popularity. As a business. As Very a business big business. and entertainment, both positive and negative. I think that it hasn't been given, yeah. and, and maybe perhaps that's why a lot of things have happened Okay. That that uh, you mean over the years and, and nobody's no whistles have been blown. Exactly. G give me your shortest speech, uh, okay. Dave. What's going on here? Wh why is this serious? As far as as far as like a, a criminal thing, I think hopefully everybody in this panel wants just the truth to come out. And I don't know what the truth is. I you know we all hear different versions of a story, and we just want to hear the truth. Very so good. So that's fine. Let's understand this. You I, I can answer that question. What is it? Um, there's never been a forum for them before. Uh, if you, you have to understand that the um, wrestling business has always been a totally closed entity it's like almost like an elementary school you don't snitch you don't tell if something happens in the business yeah. there was a friend of mine who was murdered in a dressing room and it was very difficult this was in puerto rico and it was very difficult for the wrestlers even in the murder to go to the police the next day and tell the truth it took one of the guys who was a friend of the guys says we've got to go tell the truth and there was so much pressure right on telling that you know that you don't snitch i get it this is easy to get. We know this. Okay. Now, wait a minute. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by our good friends over at Pass Pros. Head on over to PassPros.com and find out all the information on our upcoming appearances with Eric Bischoff and Sean Waltman at the Icons of Professional Wrestling and Collector Fest in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This coming April, again, head on over to PassPros.com and find out how you can purchase signed items directly from the event, or if you are coming to the event in Philadelphia, purchase your tickets through our link at PassPros.com. And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only John Paz. And John is absolutely chomping at the bit to get into today's episode. And if you heard this off the top, not only are we kind of celebrating the legacy of the late, great Chavo Guerrero Sr. with a little tribute that we had Chavo on last August, and we threw his legacy out there that he shared with us. But you also heard in there the clip from the infamous Phil Donahue show featuring today's guest, the one and only Dave Meltzer. That's right. I like to call him the Walter Cronkite of professional wrestling. John likes to call him the greatest sports journalist of all time, but... Nonetheless, Dave Meltzer joins the program, and he is absolutely one of the guys we have always wanted to have on this show, whether it's reading an observer as a uh, young, impressionable fan or kind of growing 
through the the strength of the internet and into what we now have this social media universe Dave Meltzer has played a huge part in breaking stories and reporting stories, and we get to talk about all that great stuff on this episode today, which we like to fall into the epic category, where they start to get past 90 minutes in length, and man, there are so many different things that we could cover. There's things that we forgot to cover, but there's so much content in this episode, it's unbelievable. But you hear off the top the steroid scandal, the ring boy scandal of the 1990s featuring the WWF. And you got to paint the picture of that Phil Donahue show. And that is Dave Meltzer going up against Vince McMahon, Bruno San Martino, superstar Billy Graham, Barrio, Murray Hodgson, John Arezzi, and so many other guys that were on this panel and just going at it tooth and nail at a time where professional wrestling was, quote, on the ropes, and it could have either fallen into a great abyss or kind of suffered through a quiet time like it did in the mid-90s and then emerged into what became the Attitude Era. But Dave Meltzer was right smack in the middle of all that, and that is something I've always wanted to get to talk to Dave Meltzer about. But I, I hate to say it, there's so many other things that we do talk about that it's just a little bit of a mention in the show itself, there's so many topics that, John, I know as being the huge Japan mark that you are, you were able to start pulling things out left and right, and Meltzer loved it, and we absolutely loved having on Dave Meltzer. But, John, as I welcome you in here, why don't you talk about some of the things that you wanted to get into in this interview and talk about how Dave Meltzer has played such a role in the journalistic view of professional wrestling and played a part in so many key stories as well as lead by example, not only in how you report a story, but also by putting out the effort and all the tireless hours of work into making that story both believable and also maintaining your integrity, that of a journalist. Yes, Chad, like you mentioned off the top, awesome to be able to finally get on Dave Meltzer, the greatest sports journalist of all time, in my humble opinion, the king of the star ratings, you know, the publisher, obviously an editor of Wrestling Observer Newsletter, and somewhat of a white whale, so to speak, for the two-man power trip of wrestling. Obviously a great journalist and a true legend in this business, not only in the professional wrestling business, not only in the MMA business, but also as far as sports journalism is concerned. And of course, like you said, Phil Donahue, all the quote-unquote scandals and controversies, Dave Meltzer right there in the middle of them all. And obviously the Phil Donahue one, which you do reference in the interview and what you just mentioned just then, obviously one of the uh, funny moments or funnier moments uh, as far as scandals and stories are concerned. But I'm going to kind of turn my attention into a little bit of a different way You know, here. Just want to say that uh, it was awesome and truly unbelievable to not only get him on the show, but to talk wrestling with this guy. Think about the knowledge that he has and think about how long he's been in the business and what he knows and what he knows behind the scene and what he knows in front of the camera and everything in between is just awesome and to think about his schedule and finally be able to get him on and finally be able to talk to him like I alluded to somewhat of a white whale but the guy works over a hundred hours a week if you really think you sit there and think about it it's like Jesus you know that's a lot of work and a lot of effort that he puts in with the Wrestling Observer, with MMA fighting, uh, with several podcasts and other interviews and everything else. And obviously his phone is probably ringing off the hook with stories and 
and tidbits and info and reading his emails and dealing with these trolls on Twitter. I mean, there's so many different things that he's doing, uh, obviously joking about the Twitter part, but so many different things that he does and does for the wrestling business. And you see a lot of guys, you know, take credit for his uh, news or they, you know, steal his stuff and post it on their sites and do different things like that. So we do talk about that in the interview. Does that bother him? Is it annoying? And quite frankly, I think it's more annoying to me than it is to him. And he kind of just shrugged it off and, and not really bothered by it. But to beat him and kind of to be on top of the mountain, I guess with all the other uh, wrestling sites and things that are out there, it's always going to be that way when you're on the top of the mountain it kind of filters down and people kind of take your info but what the thing that that gets taken the most from him and kind of getting a lot of slack for unjustly is the star ratings and the star ratings to us obviously and all the people that are talking about it they have such a level of importance to them but when you talk to dave not so much i mean he doesn't really think about the star ratings too much he just does them gets them out there we do get a story obviously on the star ratings and kind of where they emanated from we talk a little bit about norm dooley we talk a little bit about jim Cornette. but really you know we get into the essence of the star ratings we even get into some matches and some of the things that he rated but i personally i just like to use them as a guide and yeah you know i'd be a marker or a historian or whatever you want to call me i'll print out the star ratings at the end of the year and i'll make sure that i watched every big time match whether it be i like to watch four stars and above because i kind of want to get a feel for the really really good matches and the excellent matches and then kind of go down from there and pick and choose some matches um, that i want to see or maybe want to kind of just check out or maybe just kind of rate myself you know from for my own guide but use the star rating as more of a guide and not really like a bible folks i mean don't take it too seriously but take it seriously enough where you want to pick and choose matches that have been rated from a certain star rating and watch them and, and really become a fan and become a historian and you know maybe learn something and maybe get some entertainment out of your uh, pro wrestling world so we talk about okada and omega of course the infamous six star match we talk about some other six star matches like misawa kawada jumbo and tenru flayer steamboat so on and so forth and then we even go into a little bit of you know what sh- what should have gotten a five star or why did it get a five star what didn't get a five star why four and three four stars is still an amazing match and of course we talk about brett owen hbk razor from wrestlemania 10 but you know enough about the star ratings because you know it's it's a level of importance to so you know some people but to me his opinion definitely carries more weight than others and that's really why i think the star ratings kind of have grown and become as popular as they have they've almost you know been created and had like a almost their own separate entity and they're almost their own separate thing so that's the power of the star ratings and that is the power of dave Meltzer. that goes back to the old hulk hogan line of the power lies in the palm of the hand and you mentioned the twitter trolls earlier in your little uh, rant there but i cannot believe in john we always kind of text back and forth about this and it's just so funny to see a guy like Dave Meltzer battle the trolls on Twitter and the people that question everything that he does, and it's just its absolutely unbelievable. Whether it's a dry, sarcastic line that goes over the troll's head or just something that maybe an inside fan, an old-school fan, will get that this you know newer fan or this troll doesn't understand. It's just very funny 
to see Dave Meltzer kind of go tit for tat with some of these people that he doesn't need to acknowledge them, but he does. And it's just to me and John, I know we just, we laugh about it so many times where we've sent one back and forth to each other and just get a kick out of it. But there's so much that you covered in there. And obviously the star ratings is right up your alley. You know, I love the fact that he was able to kind of break that down. And I love that he said that it's something that he does, but he does not put that much thought into it. And I just love how fans take that and they carry so much weight in the star ratings where the guy who's doing the star ratings, it's just one of the things he does. And I just think that that's so fascinating. But I also think that with having Dave Meltzer on and you'll kind of get the impression when you listen to this, it just kind of validates us. I feel a little bit. And that's something as a host. And when you're putting out the episodes like we do, you, you look for some little things like that. And the way we were able to conversate with Dave Meltzer and be on somewhat of a not the same level, but on a conversational level with him when it came to older things in the business or talking about classic matches or the way John carries himself with the Japanese wrestling historian side of his game with Meltzer. I mean, it's just, it's a fascinating interview and it's really cool. And, and hey, we don't get to talk about current stuff often, which is, uh, you know, it's not always our cup of tea, but we can handle it. And definitely we get into WWE, we get into the Hall of Fame, we get into what's going on with New Japan. But John, please, before we get it on over to the interview, just give us a couple more points that stood out to you of this interview and what we really do have to look forward to in this nearly 90-minute chat with Dave Meltzer. Yeah, Chad, real quick before we kind of send it off to the interview here, I mean, what else do we talk about? What are some of my favorite points in the interview? And obviously, talking New Japan Pro Wrestling is huge. Love talking New Japan. We talk about the U.S. expansion this year. We talk about all the stars of New Japan. We talk about some rumors of New Japan, we talk about who's possibly going to challenge the IWGP champion, Okada, who's possibly going to win the IWGP world title. Will Kenny Omega get his turn as champion? He certainly had the year last year where he definitely deserves it. And of course, you know, we talk about uh, Tomohiro Ishii, one of my favorite guys. We talk about Shibata. We talk about Tanahashi. We talk about the Bullet Club. And we talk about all things New Japan Pro Wrestling. And obviously, one of Dave's favorite topics and one of mine as well and of course Minoru Suzuki can't forget him we do talk about him a lot but also of course with this being Wrestlemania season we do talk WWE and all the Wrestlemania rumors that are out there obviously now we know Orton Bray Wyatt set in stone which Dave said you know many moons ago so i mean a lot of things are starting to get into place now and everything is kind of starting to figure out its way and like dave says he knows where it's going to end up he's just not sure how it's going to get there so this is definitely one of my favorite all-time interviews it was such an honor to get dave on follow him over at the wrestling observer newsletter follow him on twitter he is a blast he is awesome like i said he's the greatest sports journalist of all time i can't get that over enough such a great treat for us to finally be able to get him on he was one of my bucket list guys for sure and it was quite quite awesome and i can say that again it was just awesome to be able to get dave on and really just kind of shoot the breeze and just talk about the wrestling business with a guy who probably knows it better than anyone else very well said partner and i couldn't put it into words any better than that, and of course, our most deepest and sincere thanks to Dave Meltzer for spending the time to go into his career and talk about the world of professional wrestling, and like John said, get on over to the Wrestling Observer and check out Dave Meltzer's world over there. He's got shows, he's got 
the newsletters. He's got the archives, which I love. I love those archives. And definitely support Dave Meltzer. And check out his Pro Wrestling Tea Store. It's cool to see that the uh, Wrestling Observer has also integrated over into the Pro Wrestling Tees world. But as I stated off the top, this, this episode is dedicated to the life and memory of Chavo Guerrero Sr. And Chavo Guerrero, if you go back and listen to that episode, it was done in August. Chavo was getting ready to go over to Japan for another tour. I think he actually got one or two more tours in after we had spoken to him, and I believe the last one was in November. But just a, a tragic loss, and to hear the pain that he had suffered in for about the last month of his life is just absolutely heartbreaking. But our best to Chavo Guerrero Jr. and the legendary Guerrero family, both uh, Hector, who we had on, and Chavo as well, spoke so highly of Chavo Classic in the episodes that we had with them. So please go back and listen to the Chavo Classic interview that we did in August and that was his legacy in his own words that we played off the top and John hate to end it on a somber note but as we get into this interview with Dave Meltzer uh, hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and the song that is playing for Dave Meltzer was handpicked by my partner uh, for him and I hope uh, you enjoy and this is a kind of a nod to Mr. Meltzer as a theme song that he personally said is one of the best out there. So enjoy, and John hit him with that TMPT business and get it on over to the Walter Cronkite of professional wrestling, Dave Meltzer. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please visit our website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. Subscribe to us on YouTube. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. While you're on iTunes, check out the feed for some legendary episodes featuring the living legend himself, Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Ray Mysterio Jr., Jerry McDivitt, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, Mr. Wonderful Paul Ondorf, AJ Styles, and so many others. Also, while you're surfing the web, check out WrestlingInc.com. Yes, that is WrestlingInc.com. They are the number one wrestling news source out there, so please check them out. Also, while on the internet, go to ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, ProWrestlingTees.com is your superstore. If you are a super fan, and you can please check out our page while you're there, you can check out Tito Santana, Paul Orndorff, Coco Beware, Magnum TA, Buff Bagwell, and so, so many others. Follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017 as we hit the road and we come to a town near you. April 22nd, we hit Philadelphia, Pennsylvania at the Icon Collectors Fest. Then, May 19th and May 20th, we hit the Mid-Atlantic Wrestling Expo in Richmond, Virginia. Then, follow us to New Jersey as we hit Legends of the Ring in Monroe. So please follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017, because you never know where we may land. And now, without any further ado, the publisher and editor of Wrestling Observer Newsletter, he is a Jim Melby Award winner. He is also a senior writer for MMAfighting.com. You may know him as the king of the star ratings. We know him as the greatest sports journalist of all time. He is Mr. Dave 
Glad to be here. It's uh, it's quite an accomplishment for us because we've uh, we've been following you for quite a long time. You can almost say that you are one of the reasons why the two man power trip of wrestling is uh, doing what it's doing today. So, uh, just as a quick aside, we thank you very much. No, you're very welcome. <laughs> so, Dave, <laughs> what a time it is to be a wrestling fan. Obviously, you've seen it all. You've done it all in the world of wrestling in terms of following it. Uh, 2017 has uh, gotten off to a crazy start. We're obviously in the midst of WrestleMania season. But i got to give you a lot of credit off the top for uh, the work that you do on social media. John and I go back and forth all the time <laughs> with the battles that you have with some of these rabid Twitter, I can't even call them fans or followers, whatever these, <laughs> these people, trolls, whatever they are, I give mm-hmm. you a lot of credit for the battles that you, uh, you have on a various amount of topics. Yeah, I mean it's you know it's usually in good fun. I mean I just um, sometimes I just do I I read the stuff and like stuff just pops into my head and and it's funny because um, like my son was telling me that like at his school like the people like the a lot of his classmates love to go on Twitter to see like me slay fools. <laughs> so it's kind of become it's sort of like you know every day I've got to kind of go up there and sometimes do that. It's it's just it, it makes me laugh a lot, especially you know with us growing up in the uh, you know the 80s and 90s and not having a Twitter and only relying on newsletters and magazines and stuff to get your you know either your kayfabe news or your real news or whatever it was finding out any information we could back in uh, you know as we like to say back in our day but. You know, the wealth of information that everyone's got at their fingertips now, everybody thinks that they're an expert, that they can uh, break, <laughs> yeah. break down matches uh, unlike anybody else on the planet, star ratings being what they are in the lexicon of a professional wrestling fan. But, you know, where do you think we're that, at that, in that 2017? That, 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 that took on a life of its own, the star rating thing. I mean, of like all the things I do, the one that I take the least serious is the star ratings, but people like... <sighs> Go so crazy about it. But I think it might have gone from, it's an evolution of, like, maybe some of the workers actually uh, being the ones who cared about the star ratings to now these fans that, you know, the the elusive six-star match, uh, <laughs> things hopefully being Hopefully there'll be another one like that. Or maybe, you know, hopefully there will be, actually, we should say that. <laughs> well, what do you think about so when people kind of single that out, that star rating system in the way that they do, you know, the, the uh, obviously the uh, the Kenny Omega and Okada match being uh, obviously something we may never see again. But you know, what do you think about the way that fans reacted to those uh, star ratings the way that they did? I mean, most of it is isn't bad at all. But it's like I I I, I should have realized, and it was funny because it was like a, a there was kind of like a day delay, 
And Brian Alvarez, my partner, actually, like the, the you know, it was a couple hours after the issue came out. And he says, "Oh my God, you know, like you're you're going to get flack." And I, go, I ain't gotten any flack for it. But then, like a day or two later, then it started, and I realized, you know what? There was no way this this wasn't going to happen, um, no matter how good the match was, because now it's become the lightning rod. And I mean, it's been it's funny because um, I think that that really helped both of those guys, and it certainly probably helped people um, in in hearing about the match and everything like that. But at the same time, it also became like the thing of like, how can we pick this apart because it can't be that good or something. Because when you say something's like the best, you know, one of the best matches ever, you know, it's kind of like you'll have people who will watch it and go, yeah, it was. And then you'll have people who will go in there with the attitude that it's not and I'm going to prove it's not. Um, although some of them even admitted to me like, um, I mean, that, that uh, it was funny because like Austin and I talked. And and he and he actually called me about that match, and he'd already seen it. And he said, like, you know, he went in there with the attitude of there's no way. And he said, but when it was over, you know, it's probably one of the three best matches I've ever seen. So it was like, you know, sometimes you get the pushback. But if you're open-minded, you kind of like, you know, will we'll, we'll not let that pushback get to the point where you, you know, start going, oh, this match was actually really lousy or something, which is kind of like funny almost. I think it's obviously, you know, it's up there in terms of one of the greatest matches ever competed in a professional wrestling ring. But uh, the one thing that I get disappointed with in terms of the fans is that, you know, everybody's kind of looking for that match of the year, uh, match of the century. This is awesome. You know, the chance of this and that, the, the takeover. <laughs> I know that's will. become that's become the new that's become the new professional wrestling is the, uh, you know, you work a match and you pause at the certain point after you're both knocked out 10 minutes in. And then everyone goes, this is awesome, this is awesome. And it's, it's almost like the first time they did it, or the first time you see it, it's, it's the greatest thing in the world. But after like the 150th time, it's almost like, God, it's like so annoying. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, I feel like on a lot of shows, you get that by the first or second match. So you're kind well, of worn out. Some, as- some people feel like they have to do it in every match. They have to chant it in every match. Re- exactly right. And that's kind of where I wanted to head to. So as we're into 2017, and social media being so big and professional wrestling kind of being on a, a global scale like it's never been before, you know, what do you think the state of the, the whole entire industry is at this point? It's, it's interesting. I mean, it, it's, I think it's healthier than it was a couple of years ago. Um, it's not as healthy as it's been at other points. But, um, I mean, WWE is, a, a, you know, really, it's really quite a juggernaut as far as like an international company and everything. And, you know, they've, they've seen a lot of these companies that have come on and gotten through social media in some cases and, um, you know, have gotten like a lot of attention. And I think WWE kind of like, I don't think that they mind that there's other companies out there. I think that, that that's just inevitable. But I don't think they like the idea that people are comparing them with other companies in an unfavorable way. So I think that there's kind of like this feeling of we're going to outdo them at their own game and sign up those, those guys that, you know, three years ago they have never touched, um, and, you know, make sure that these, that these other companies don't get, you know, the next step up. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of interesting that the success of the indies for the last couple of years, I mean, especially like last year, I think may be the beginning of the undoing of the indies. Maybe not undoing of it, but, but you know what I mean? Like, because they're, they're successful and because they're um, no longer under the radar. Like, if you go back to the Ring of Honor heyday, you know, when you had Brian Danielson and Nigel McGuinness or Samoa Joe and Punk and those guys, you know, everyone talked about it, but it's nothing like it. If, those, if that happened today, it would be so much bigger than it was then because of social media. 
which is unbelievable because that roster in those early Ring of Honor days ended up being the guys that, you know, pretty much held on to the hardcore fan as the WWE suffered through some abysmal years uh, where talent was kind of at a uh, minimum. But, you know, I kind of say WWE at this point is more like they're, – they're almost more mainstream in a way that nobody knows. You know what I mean? Like ESPN's covering them. You know, Forbes.com is covering them. And people are contributing to websites writing about the WWE and wrestling and wrestling history than I've ever seen in my life in, in any kind of <laughs> forum. But in, in, that, in, in that sense, coverage-wise, coverage-wise, there are more. But as far as, like, real life, I think it's, it's, it's not because, you know, like, like when, when I was growing up, like, everybody knew wrestling. And, and it was, you know, like, I, I, I can remember, like, let's, let's just give an example. Um, it's like I once went to a hockey game with Ric Flair, okay, and this is, this is 1989. And it's like this guy, you just have no idea how much he was mobbed. And I would talk to people when Punk would go to hockey games, and I'd go, oh, my God, they must just mob him. It's like, no, they don't. You know what I mean? It's like a different, um, you know, it's like I think that, like, um, it's like the and, and 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 you know it's like it's like the the people who are wrestling fans they have more wrestling to watch they're more into wrestling. I think the the hardcore wrestling fans are more into wrestling they'll spend more money on wrestling than than any fan base ever would before but there's not as many of them as say like even in, if even if you go to like the late 80s period there were way 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 more wrestling fans but you know it's not like they're going to be spending $2000 to go on their vacation to a wrestling show because they wouldn't do that you know what i mean it, it just wasn't it was just a different era Right, exactly, and that's what I'm trying to say. Like, it's it's mainstream without it being uh, without enough eyes being on it because the ratings are obviously, you know, from the WWE right. perspective, in, in the toilet. Uh, but then you look at the other side of the spectrum, and now we we finally, as an American fan, we don't have to go out of our way to see New Japan Pro Wrestling, which you know, if you're a hardcore fan, is amazing because now you have it on Access TV. Granted, you know, on a little bit of a delay, but still, you're getting access to these matches that before we weren't able to see, and on YouTube. You know, New Japan stuff is uh, not as easy to come by as you would think, but do you think that's kind of helped the business in the United States at least, that we're, we have that secondary option finally in terms of a big product like a New Japan? Yeah, I, I keep thinking in the 90s when, when New Japan and even more All Japan were really great. I remember in the, in, in the 90s I was thinking, God, wouldn't it be so great if like New Japan and All Japan got TV in the United States? And there were talks, I knew people in television, who talked about it, but they could never get the deal done because at that point in time, you know, All Japan and New Japan wanted so much money in rights, and, and these were small stations that weren't used to, you know, weren't, weren't willing to spend that kind of money. But, you know, I mean, I never dreamed of the idea like now where, like the, the Tokyo Dome, I could just turn on my computer and I'm watching the Tokyo Dome like I'm there instead of having to, to go there or having to wait two weeks for a videotape of it to come through. Um, I was always thinking, like, God, wouldn't it be great if, like, these All Japan matches were, like, available to the public as opposed to just the tape traders? You know what I mean? They, like, and, and, and now we actually, we actually have that. It, it, you know, it's like you can get New Japan World and get every big New Japan match live practically. It is awesome, and it's so great that we're able to see all these awesome matches. And it's funny because we mentioned it before with, you know, the quote-unquote six-star rating with Omega and Okada. But it, it almost adds to that fact that more people, like I believe, I think you said ten thousand people wanted or, or get bought New Japan World because of that, and, and like that kind of got their name out there. So it's kind of expanding New Japan even further, and these names are getting even bigger. 
Yeah, I mean, it's nothing compared to WWE as far as mainstream goes, but but again, it's servicing um, a hardcore fan base. I mean, there you know, there would have never been that many people, you know, that if you had gone and had this kind of a service years ago, as big as All Japan was, or in in that era, and as great as they were. I mean, the number of people who watched like all Japan um, videotapes was was minuscule compared to, you know, the people who subscribe to New Japan World in North America, which is probably you know between ten and fifteen thousand. Let alone the people who will just go on YouTube and watch for free, you know, down the line, or the two hundred thousand or so that are watching every Friday night on Access. It's it is kind of amazing in that way. And what's great for me about the star ratings and, you know, some people say, oh, they're kind of controversial and you say, you know, you don't really put that much thought into it, but I love it. I put, I put thought into it, but I don't, I mean, I, I, I consider my reporting to be a million times more important than my star right, rating, right, which right. is why I find it like hilarious when like there's big stories in wrestling, you know, you know, real big things and people will just go, ah, oh, why didn't you give that match five stars when you gave it four and three quarters? You know what I mean? It's like, Jesus Christ, I said it was a great match. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yep, it's so funny that you say because I I always read like stuff like that like oh why wasn't HBK hundred taker five stars yeah, could have been seven five I, I, I came so close to giving that match five stars when it happened it was right on the border but my rule of thumb is is when I when the match is over and I go is it five or four and three quarters and I said this after the Cena match with with AJ um, and I said it after um, the Tanahashi Okada G one match um, from that was the thirty minute draw. And it's like, if I, the minute I ask that question, it's a four and three quarter star match. And that's it. Because a five star match, I would never, I would never have to ask that question. And that's, that's the difference. And when people go, why didn't you get it? It's because when it was over, I wasn't sure. And when you're not sure, it's four and three quarters. Hmm. I like that. And uh, it's funny that some people complain about it because it's insane when you really think about it. Because regardless, anything over four, if anyone complains yeah. about it, is, is, is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, it's an awesome match. And I love, like, every year I love just going through and trying to watch every match you rate, you know, a certain point. Like, any match basically four stars and above. I mean, I guess that's a little marquee of me, but I, I just love going back and watching hmm. it and stuff like through. And I'm like, oh, my God, i got to get a new beginning. I, I do those some tape trading or whatever. Maybe I'll get on New Japan World. I want to watch Suzuki against Okada. So 4.75. I mean, the match is probably amazing. You just kind of take us through you know, maybe your thought process of like a match like that, which obviously is probably, you know, off the charts amazing. Okada Suzuki, that was a different kind yeah. of a match than I expected. Because if you're watching it, it's 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 not that amazing until the until like when it's over and you just go like not it was before it was over, but but like when I was watching that match at the beginning, it's just like, you know, this is really an interesting match because of the selling, because the whole match is pretty much Suzuki working over the knee. And they didn't do a lot of near falls, and it was, and it was, but the selling was incredible. And Suzuki's so believable at at doing the submissions, and he's got that rep, so the people were, were willing to buy it. But it wasn't like it was like super heated or anything like that. And then when Okada made the comeback after that much time and just you know struggling and everything between the struggle and the drama and the psychology, it was like everything that people that don't know what they're talking about, say negative about Japan, that match was like the exact opposite of, in the sense of, oh, you know, they do too many near falls. Well, they didn't do hardly any. They did too many high spots. They hardly did any. They um, don't sell. This match had more selling than any match I've probably seen in 15 years. You know what I mean? But, but it was still, like, it was a different kind of a great match than probably any great match that we'll have this year. And, and that's why I really liked it, because, you know, it's one thing to mimic Tanahashi Okada or mimic AJ and John Cena, you know what I mean? That, that this is this is a, this is completely different from those kind of matches. 
I love Suzuki's style. He's so much more realistic than than a lot of other guys. I'm not saying Japan guys, I'm saying just in general. He's just his style and obviously his believability from his pancreas base helped. And I'm remembering that match a couple of years ago, AJ versus Suzuki's a lot of selling. Right, not a lot of high spots. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, the AJ Suzuki match was was fantastic, and the Tanahashi Suzuki match was actually like, I think that might have been like the that was like right. It was before New Japan World, but it was right when. Um, the New Japan show started airing on internet pay-per-view before, you know, as, as, as regular pay-per-views. And that's when, like, I started, like, watching the shows live. Um, and and I, I think, I, I'm not even sure if I watched that one live or I watched it the next morning. But, you know, it's, it's essentially like live, right? You know, before, you know, you know, not waiting for the tape and not waiting for YouTube type of a thing. And I just remember, like, that match was just so phenomenal. And when it was over, it was like there, was, there were no near falls in the whole match. The only near fall was the high – the only pin attempt in the whole match was the high fly flow, which was the finish. And it's, like, over, and I'm going, like, they did this match with no near falls. And it was, like – and I thought it was, like, the best match I'd seen in years just because um, – and it's nothing against near falls. If you, you can do a match with a million near falls and, they're great, and, and, and people bite on it and everything like that, that's a great match, too. I'm just saying there's, there's different ways to have a great match. Definitely, and I feel like that match, Tanahashi Suzuki, almost set New Japan off kind of the level they're at now, where every year you kind of expect them to have a breakout year, and every year the G1 is somehow better than the year before, and every year, you know, there's like a five-star an amazing match, or even six-star amazing match at Wrestle <laughs> Kingdom. Do you think that kind of set off New Japan, almost that match? Because it seems like since then they've been on such a roll as far as in-ring. Oh, they were a little bit before, but the fact that you could see it so quickly, I think it... it... I, I do think so, yeah. I, I think that that match was um, because because it was it, it, it became one of those things as far as like if you're a hardcore fan. I mean, like with 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 my readership, that is the match probably where I started getting like lots of feedback to a New Japan show. Like normally I wouldn't get hardly any, and then because you could get it pretty much live on on iPay per view, people would watch it, and then when they saw that match, it was kind of like oh my god, you know, it's like this is like so good compared to the United States, so it became something that they would watch on a regular, at least the big pay-per-views. And, and now it's the same thing as far as, you know, the, you know even, even like the, um, the show in Sapporo, I got, we, got, we got pretty good response. The WrestleMania, the um, Wrestle Kingdom show, was, that, was different, that, was, that was a different level, though. That was, um, I mean, the reaction of that show blew me away. I mean, there were so many more people that watched that show, without a doubt, than any New Japan show ever. And then when the Okada Omega match aired on the 13th on um, Access, I know that was the highest rated episode of, of that show that they'd ever had, too. Well, that's a damn good sign and a good thing that, you know, New Japan is growing. And they're a distant number two, but it's good to see that there is a number two out there somewhere. And, and New Japan has so many good guys, because if you lose Nakamura and AJ and obviously couple of key members of the Bullet Club there, you kind of think, oh, what, what can they do? But then Naito steps up and has the best year of his career. He's the MVP. Omega steps up to a level that I don't think anybody saw coming. Michael Elgin. Did you kind of see New Japan having these guys able to take over those key roles? No. I thought that was going to be devastating. And for a couple of months it was. Their business was clearly down. But Naito and Omega really, you know, Elgin too, but Naito and Omega were really the, the keys. Um, they just stepped up. I mean, it's like I always knew Omega had incredible talent because I'd seen his matches for years, but it wasn't. It was never as like a top guy in New Japan, if you know what I mean. It was more of like a guy, you know, like junior heavyweight having a really good match, and and you watch the moves and you go, God, you know, this guy 
really does have talent. But but you know it's it's I, I never would consider him like AJ Styles in the sense of AJ Styles to me could carry a promotion. But Omega, when he when put out there, you know he did an incredible job this year. And Naito, you know Naito had been around, always a good wrestler. But um, the idea that he could be at the level he's at, I always thought that he was one of those guys that was going to be doomed to being just below, and he's not. He can be, you know, him and Okada are probably going to be, you know, the two superstars for the next, uh, you know, eight to ten years in that company, I think. Absolutely, and of course, obviously, Tanahashi aging a, a bit now and in, in some injuries, but obviously, you know, he's the age, and he might be one of the best pro wrestlers of all time, and he kind of sets the bar for that uh that you know, main event heavyweight New Japan match to an extent, and I and I love seeing that these other guys kind of reach that status. And then there's a couple other guys that I think can reach that status, but haven't gotten that push yet. And that's Shibata, and then my favorite guy in New Japan is probably Tomohiro Ishii. When are these guys going to get a push? Um, Ishii's tough because he's like 40 anyway already. Mm. Um, and I think he's kind of like labeled at a certain level, but he always, yeah, he, he's so unique and he's got such a different, you know, his matches are so, he's got a different kind of great match than anybody else. And Shibata, Shibata does too, is, uh, and, and, and when they go against each other, you know, you get the Shibata and Ishii as, as a, as a match is like, just like an incredible match. But, um, Shibata, I think is going to be up in that top mix. He's, he's got it. And and I think that they know it. I mean, it's still a little bit of, you know, there's kind of like an order, and and it's Tanahashi and Naito, you know, are the top guys there, and Okada, of course, and he's like right underneath. But I think that it's about that time where, you know, like he could win a G1 and challenge for the title or something like that, and I don't think it would be that tough or anything like that. Ishii would be a little tougher, but I do think the day of Ishii at least challenging for the title in the Sumo Hall main event and coming close, I think that. That could happen. I know Omega. If Omega gets the title, I know that I know that that's something that he wants. He wants a big match. If he wins the title, he wants a big match with Ishii because he thinks that that you know that could be just an incredible match. Yeah, he's so good, so underrated. Obviously, you know he's, he's little in stature. And you like to say he's approaching forty, or maybe he is forty now. But he's he's so good and, and so different, and almost has I don't know a bit of like a Rick Steiner ish esque to him with those clotheslines and stuff. I just I always enjoyed him the most. Just a hard-nosed guy, you know, like, yeah. you know, you know, like with, um, you know, like, like some of the Ishii matches with like Goto and um, Shibata and Honma and Makabe, you know, at that level, it's like those guys, those matches are like, like so much better, like it's because they're, they're not the main event, right? They're like third from the top or mm. fourth from the top, sometimes right before intermission. I think that there was a card once where those guys, I, I forgot what the match was. It might have been, it might have been. Ishii and Hanma um, or, or Makabe, but they had a match, and it was right before intermission, and they just tore the house down, and, and I remember when it was over, it's like, man, I mean, thank God there was an intermission, because nobody could have followed this. <laughs> now, with, you said Omega wanting to wrestle Ishii and possibly Omega winning the title, you think with, obviously, you know, him coming out that he resigned, he came out in your show, which was really cool, and I just thought that was a great sign of respect for him to kind of, you know, do it on your show and do it in a classy way that he did. But with them touring the U.S. and with him kind of being a, a guy that you can almost see being a, I guess, a global star, Okada could as well, but obviously he's Japanese and, and Omega can speak Japanese, but he's also Canadian or, you know, he can almost fall in with looking like um, – 
he's American. But do you think with the U.S. tour and the expansion that Omega is the guy to give the title to and kind of give a big push? Well, I think that the, the title should, re- could, should revolve around different people, but Omega should absolutely be one of those people. And, and I do believe that Omega should be champion when they come to Los Angeles in July. That's why whenever people ask me like what I would do, I always say like I would put Omega and Okada rematch in, at Dominion in June, no sooner than June, um, and that one Omega wins. And then he comes three weeks later or whatever it is, a couple weeks later to Los Angeles, having just won the title with the momentum of just winning the title and, and you know, hopefully putting the title up in his first defense in L.A. against, you know, somebody he could beat. Maybe even Ishii might be, even be the guy, you know, where, where, where you can go in there and, and you're booking this match in Los Angeles or Long Beach, actually, to be this spectacular match because you, you almost need with New Japan um, – because they're coming in with the idea that their wrestling is so good, you have to deliver. They have to deliver on their first shows. They have to deliver those kind of G1 matches. You know what I mean? It can't be just like a regular, just another house show. I mean, they'll sell merchandise and everything and all that for a regular house show, but you really want to make an impression. And whether it's going to be live on New Japan World or even live on Access, which I think that would be like the best idea of all, and just go in there and have the killer match with Jim Ross calling it and everything like that, I think that that's that's like their best bet to get a foothold. Absolutely. And I think Omega, after the match with Goto, the match with Naito, the match with Okada, I think he kind of proved himself that he is a main eventer and maybe should be the main eventer for New Japan kind of going forward. He should be one of them for sure. I mean, you know, it should be him, Naito, Okada, and then uh, probably, I mean, Tanahashi always there because when he's called on to deliver the great match, he always will. And um, I think that um, I think that Shibata should be in that mix, and Elgin maybe right under because man, Elgin when he, when you know when he's in a big match in the last year, he I think he's delivered every time too. Yeah, he's he's definitely definitely been awesome, and it's funny when you look at New Japan right now, and they're amazing. Do you kind of look back at all Japan? in the, you know, the 80s and the 90s, do you think similar as far as, like, Masada, Kawada, Kobashi, and then you look at Okada, Omega, uh, Naito, do you kind of see, like, and obviously Tanahashi, do you see um, a similarity, or would you say all Japan is probably better and, and almost untouchable? Well, it's, 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 di- it's different because of the time. I mean, I, I watched, after Omega, Okada, people were going like, well, you gotta you got to watch Misawa Kawada because it's so great, and I watched it, and it was so great, but it's different. The thing is, is like wrestling was so much more over in Japan in the 90s, and the championships meant more, and that's something that you, you, you just, like that aura of it is so much stronger that you can't really compete today. Like, it's hard for me to say, like, Tanahashi's fantastic, but it's hard for me to ever say that he's better than Kobashi, because when Kobashi was at his peak... The, the aura of wrestling was strong, and he was like as a box office guy, just so much stronger. You know, like when, you know, um, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it was more epic or something. And, and I mean, it's not like the work is better, the psychology is, is even better, but the importance was, was there. Like, um, you know, like when, when um, you watch those Budokan main events, it's like the bell rings and the place just erupts because it's, you know, it's like, you know, like the, like like I would like you'd see it at a, at a big boxing match in the United States, or maybe like the the supreme big MMA fight. You know what I mean? That, that's what they had, and you know nobody really has that now. Even the main event at WrestleMania doesn't quite get there, um, and and so that's why. 
um, you know, I don't want to say like one is better than the other. They're 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 different because times are different, but um, they, they you know it can't match the importance in people's eyes. It just was wrestling was just bigger and more important to the to the fans in the '90s and in the '80s than it is now. I just love you know following you and because obviously probably the greatest uh, sports journalist of all time. But besides that, it's just like. The knowledge is there, and then it's like, okay, you know, maybe maybe I'll disagree on this match, maybe I'll disagree on that match, but I always want to use it like almost as a guide. Like I want to see, like you know, if you watch Okada Omega, it's almost like, all right, now I got to watch Masawa Kawada, now I got to watch yeah, that's what I Kimbo, to do, yeah. right, and like now I got to watch Jumbo versus Tenru again. It's like, right, right am I getting yeah. right? Like that's kind yeah, of Jumbo the, and Tenru. Those point. were those were those were awesome, awesome matches for their time too. Yeah. So it's almost like. With those matches, it's like people take it too far. We're like, oh, it's, it wasn't. Or watch a Dynamite and Tiger match, another awesome one. It's just like it almost yeah. it almost makes me want to watch even more wrestling. So where did you kind of get the idea for the star ratings? Was it um, Cornette? Was it wasn't it my idea. Billy? It was it was it was already done in newsletters before I did them. I was I I did a newsletter. I did a newsletter and I grew up reading newsletters. And the first newsletter to do them was a, a newsletter called Weasel's World by a guy named Norman Dooley. And Norman Dooley got the star ratings. Jim Cornette actually was the one who invented them. And he was Jim Cornette's friend and traveling buddy. And he did a newsletter which was absolutely hilarious. I mean, that's where, you know, um, I mean, when I, I read his newsletter, that's what inspired me to do a newsletter was Norman Dooley. And so he did star ratings for all the matches that he saw. So I just copied it. You know, and I met him um, a couple of times. And, you know, we would, I remember we would sit there and we would do star, we would do the star ratings together after the matches. It was really a lot of fun back then. Now this is kind of a weird question, but I always thought this: Would you ever go back and rewatch the match and almost re-rate it, or, or once it's rated, it's rated? Um, you know, there's not really time for me to go and watch a 40-minute match twice. Although, obviously, in the Omega and Okada, I watched three times. But um, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, if 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 the, if the time permits and all that, yeah. Um, but I, 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 it's not, it's generally not something that I would do. Um, and the one thing that I would never do is go back 20 years and rate a match because I think that like when you go back, I mean, it's, it's like, like if I'm watching wrestling now and I watch something from 20 years ago, everything about wrestling is different now than it was 20 years ago. So if I'm watching with my 2017 eyes, a match in 1997 or 1987 and I go, well, it wasn't as good as I remember. It's like, no, you can't say that because when you were watching it, that's what it was. They they weren't hmm. the wrestlers are not performing for 2017 fans. They're performing for 1987 fans, and that's something that like people when they go back and they watch old stuff and they use, whenever I see the term it didn't hold up, I go like you don't get wrestling. They're not performing for a fan 30 years who's seen all these new moves. It's just an example of something like something like when 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 I saw Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid, and then I later saw Jushin Liger. Okay, and you probably you watched probably a lot of both of those. Okay, yep. Jushin Liger was 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 if you watch him from a technical standpoint from from you know like that he was much better than Satoru Sayama, but Satoru Sayama was so much more groundbreaking than Jushin Liger and his matches and he was a much bigger star during that brief period than Liger ever was, and his matches with Dynamite Kid historically are far more important than anything Liger ever did you know as great as Liger was, um and and but the thing is is like Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid were like 
inventing moves and doing them for the first time, and they were not smooth at them because they were doing new things that nobody had ever seen before. When Liger came, people had a 10 years of practice, 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 and they were much smoother at doing them. It's the same way as the Shawn Michaels Razor Ramon ladder match compared to um, the Young Bucks and uh, uh, Daniels and Kazarian and, and, and was the, that ladder wars match, right? It's mm-hmm. like, if you really watch the stunts in the Ladder Wars match, I mean, it completely blows away Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon. And I, you know, but Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon created the genre. You know what I mean? It's like they didn't have, like, 20 years of ladder matches to, like, come up with ideas. And the people in 1994 that watched Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon were watching all this stuff for the first time, and they were going wild. And on that day, I mean, I remember the Shawn Michaels-Razor Ramon match. And I remember the next day people going, like, that may have been the greatest match of all time. And it's like, and, and I thought, you know, I mean, it, you know, I, I thought the Bret Hart-Owen Hart match as a technical wrestling match on that same show was actually the better match, but nobody was talking about it then. You know, I mean, not that they didn't say, everybody knew that was a great match, too. But the whole, the consensus was Owen Hart and Bret Hart had a great match, and Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon had the greatest match of all time. That was like the consensus on that day. And I remember going, you know, you know 20 years, which is funny because it actually turned out to be, in 20 years people were going to look back and just go, Why'd we go so gaga about Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon? Because Brett and Owen's style would probably, um, you know, that style would always work, whereas Shawn and Razor was a stunt, was the stunts, and the stunts would get better and better and better as time went on. But you, you can't say, oh, because I've seen Edge and Christian and the Dudleys do stuff that was way wilder than Shawn and Razor, that it was better. It really wasn't better because it's like those guys were the ones who innovated it first. And on the day that they were watching, they had more impact. Even the Edge and Christian and the Dudleys and the Hardys, as much as people talk about those matches, uh, and they were great. They were and they were they were wilder and, and and in some ways better. They, I can't say that they were they, they were better if you were because you know you're talking about 1994 eyes and Sean and Razor did a five star match in 1994 without a doubt. Like when that was over, it wasn't like oh is that three four and three quarters? Like hey, that's not four and three quarters. That's that's too good. Um, right. And when I watched the Young Bucks match, it was like, yeah, that's four and three quarters. But it was, you know, it was way wilder and way crazier and way more dangerous than Sean and Razor. But it's like they had 20 years, you know, or was it 23 years, 22 years to, um, you know, perfect something. And it's 22 years of, of past of an audience that's seen so much that if you re- replicated that, it wouldn't even be so great because it's 22 years later and new moves have been invented and stuff. Um, but you, you can only rate a match for its time and its place. You can't, you can't go back and, and, and try to re-rate something from 1994 because those wrestlers are not wrestling for a, 1990, for a 2017 audience. Right. And it's great. I was actually at WrestleMania 10. Uh, both matches were awesome. For whatever reason, I don't know, Brett Owen, I always liked more, I guess because I was more of a Brett guy. But I, 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 I always was too, but, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always laugh when people were like, oh, well, this match was better. I was like, well, I was like, well, I was there. They were both awesome. But I was like, one of them just seemed more, I, I guess. But both were amazing. You can't really argue this match or that. But, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, oh, you, you might not have time to watch a 40-minute match. I don't think people realize, correct me if I'm wrong here, you work over 100 hours per week. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I work I, I work constantly. You know, other than other than one day, one day a week I hang out with my with my family. And I mean, there's you know times I'm I'm hanging out with my family, but but I'm working all day these days, you know what I mean? And then I work you know at night, you know till late at night every day. Um, 
so yeah, no, I'm I'm constantly working, constantly on the phone or, or emailing people, trying to find out, you know, again, trying to find out what's going on in wrestling and, and and MMA too. You know, I'm trying to keep up with MMA too, which is a a tough business too. Yeah, you're you're like a uh, you're like a machine. You know, it's always and I'm glad we were able to catch you now because uh, you know, God forbid there was a uh, another buyer for Impact Wrestling or something else <laughs> going on at this point. You know, we we could have been delayed uh, for a couple of days here, but. You know, kind of switching back to North America, kind of talking about the U.S. scene again, going back to WWE, really the only big game in town. You know, we talked to a lot of guys on this show from the OVW, FCW era, the developmental era. Either they were failed guys that didn't make it all the way or they had a gimmick that didn't stick. But the one guy that they always single out as not being a fan of is Triple H. And obviously Triple H now. That's interesting because now, you know, now he's so popular. That's exactly what I'm getting to now. Triple H has kind of taken on a role of being an advocate for guys that 10 years ago he would have been in direct competition with, and I feel like... And probably would have buried most of them. (laughs) Right, and I feel like Vince has kind of taken the back seat as the, well, he's just a senile old man who runs the company, and Triple H is the guy that we want, you know, to be the guy who's back in the stars, but... Do you see the the fan base and the and the workers themselves now kind of shifting towards being a Triple H guy when basically all years prior Triple H was like kind of uh, public enemy number one to the fan and the people in the business. I mean, it's funny you say that because it's so it's it's just so ironic me watching it. But you know, people evolve too. You know, I mean, it's 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 like you know you live and learn and everything, and you get more open minded and all that. So it's like like um. I don't know, you know, I don't know exactly what to say about that, but I think it, it, it's it's it is really funny to watch. I mean, I, I you know, Vince is not as senile or whatever as people make him out to be. When I watch the way that machine works, it's like there's a lot of stuff I disagree with that they do. Um, you know, on a, on a on a on a on a intricate basis, but. The vision of Vince, usually when all is said and done, I mean, sometimes they kind of lose focus because that's what happens when you change your mind every week. But a lot of it works. I mean, obviously, you know, the the Roman Reigns thing, but the Roman Reigns thing was both of them. You know, they were both, everyone there thought Roman Reigns was the guy. It wasn't just Vince, and it wasn't even Vince, like, insisting, you know, when the fans rejected him because Triple H and everybody was, you know, everyone there was insisting that the fans were wrong, and still some of them still do. Um so, you know, and, and as far as, you know, Paul Levesque goes, I mean, he's, for what, you know, for what he's done, um, I mean, there's, again, the Performance Center was something that, that he needed to do, and he did it, it's, but it was, something, it was something needed. Could it be better? Yes, it could be better. Could they, you know, I mean, I think there's, you know, but I mean, if you look at the scouting that they do, the kind of people that they bring in, yeah, a lot of them, I mean, and I think that maybe, you know, there's a lot of reasons why perhaps some of the guys haven't evolved as quickly as I would have hoped, and some of the guys that were such great athletes at other sports and then come in and just don't make it, um, I think that there's something weird about that, because when I look at, like, OVW or, 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 um, you know, things like that, like, the percentage of success of, of those guys was so much higher than the guys now. And the, so, so, so you would go like, there is something wrong there, and there is. But, 
but still, it was still necessary, and it was still something that they needed to do. And I mean, the one thing I, I could say is like, from NXT as a as a just if you just look at it as a as a, as a, set, a standalone property, I think that it's pretty interesting. It's like I don't I don't really watch NXT and get annoyed at anything that they do. I mean, it's it's almost like it's not every show is a home run, but the takeovers almost are are almost always home runs, and the booking leading to them is always solid, and they push. You know, the guys that you could see are ready are the guys that get pushed. You know, like you don't go in NXT and go and go like some guy, you know, in the opening match, he should really be pushed. Because if you do that, and sometimes when you do, the next thing you know, they're getting pushed. Like I remember when um, Jordan and Gable were in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Tournament and they lost in the first round. And it was like when that was over, I remember going in that and going like, you know what? They made a mistake. Jordan and Gable actually should have gone to the finals. But you know what happened right after that? Jordan and Gable became the top tag team there. So it's like it's not like they just draw. You know what I mean? It's not. It's like he he recognized it too. He just you know and and that's what happened. So, um, you know the guys the guys who deserve a shot there get it on the main roster. You know that's more questionable. But it's also you know you're trying to the main roster is more difficult because because. It's not that hard, really, to book to the fan base that watches NXT. If you give them really good matches and good storylines to lead to the matches and basic booking, they will like it. When it comes to the big picture and your Raws and your SmackDowns, when you're trying to get the casual audience, that's a big difference. And, and you know, it's like, yes, you, you know how to book for the hardcore fan, and you could still do that, but you, you, you've got to... From a WWE standpoint, you've got to be able to catch that casual fan, and that's the one that you know. No matter what anyone ever tells you, nobody knows how to do that. So when it works, it's luck, and when it doesn't work, it's it's just because it's bad luck. You know, you know what I mean? It's like nobody nobody knew Austin was going to be Austin. You know what I mean? It just happened, and um, you know nobody knew Daniel Bryan was going to be Daniel Bryan. And granted, they fought that, but you know, I mean, you know, it's not like any, you know, like it's not like when they brought him up, they go, "Hey, this guy's going to be main eventing WrestleMania and like having the best WrestleMania main, you know, main event two, you know, matches on a WrestleMania main event ever or type of a thing." You know, it's like nobody saw that one coming. It and and I even I don't even think the fans did. It just became one of those things that caught momentum and and that's what wrestling is. You know, you 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 never know. And and when the the Bruno San Martino comes or the Hulk Hogan comes or or even if the Daniel Bryan comes, it's just like Austin it's just like you just got to see you got to be smart enough to recognize it's happened and then go full bore with it. You, you, but you don't you don't fight the fans over it and going your your fans are wrong and and they they did kind of do that with Daniel Bryan a little bit. Yeah, I feel like NXT is debate and uh gets the hardcore fan happy, it gets them invested, uh gets them behind a the guy kind of in the old school vein, you know, looking for them to either, you know, jump from uh WWE to WCW, but now you're hoping that they jump from NXT to Raw or SmackDown, but you know, NXT being what it is, you know, what do you think about when they actually do try to make that trans- transition up to the roster and either they just are completely obliterated by creative or the main roster fans just uh, don't take them? Do you think that actually hurts them in the long run? You know, it does, yeah. Well, you know, it's like some, some you know, there are definitely guys that have gotten killed by the booking. There's no doubt about it. And um, and it's, it's like a tough thing, and you, you get slotted. And, you know, granted, you can always point to Daniel Bryan or Punk as guys who were slotted a certain level and they overcame it. But they're the exceptions. They're not the rule. Usually when you're slotted a certain way, when you're Dolph Ziggler, who was like super talented guy, who the people were really behind for a long time and then they just gave up on. And now, they, you know what I mean? 
Now, now it's almost become one of those things where people go, ah, he must not have ever been any good because look at him. He's been around for 10 years. He never made it. And it's just like, no, he really was good and he is good. He just was broken by the system. And th- there are those guys that are like that. I mean, Sami Zayn may end up being one of those guys, unfortunately. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, yeah, sometimes you just, you, you'll see guys. Even Jordan and Gable, you remember the reaction when they were drafted to the main roster in the building? It was like the people went crazy. And then, you know, up until a few weeks ago, you know, they were kind of floundering. They're, 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 you know, they put the belts on them so they're doing better. Um, originally, I would have thought don't put the belts on them so soon because you want them to chase. But when they did, it was almost like I was thinking they're floundering so much that you need to do something with them right now. You can't be just letting them wait because the people are just completely losing interest. Those guys were dying, and, and they're too talented to let die. And this is also an awful time of the year to either reignite a team uh, at a bad point because, you know, whether it's a team that's going to go into a big mania match or it's bringing up a star like Samoa Joe that finally, my God, finally, we got Samoa Joe on the main roster. We're all happy. We're all this, we're all that. Seth Rollins obviously injured. But how do you see mania kind of developing across the board? You know, do you think that – Injuries being what they are and, you know, guys being part-time and obviously the Goldberg-Lesnar phenomenon being what it is. How do you see kind of this WrestleMania season shaping up right now? I mean, it's interesting. I think the Goldberg really, really um, helped the company a ton. Because if you remember before Goldberg came back, the Raw ratings were, you know, they were like atrocious to a level that even shocked, you know. I mean, I knew they would go down during football, but this was, it was ridiculous. And then Bill came and it really kind of invigorated everything. And the other one was is with Bill, you know, I mean, all the things that you thought could go wrong with Bill, given that his age and everything like that, none of them did. They didn't book him stupidly. He's done, he's done a killer job on his promos, which who would have ever thought that. And I think that maybe what I'm hoping or thinking is maybe they learned from how they did botch Sting, which they did. You know, not that Sting had tremendous longevity there at his age, but he could have been used much better. Um, and, you know, they were still fighting a war that had ended 15 years earlier with Sting. And with Bill, you notice that there's no war at all. You know, they're not right. going like, oh, you know, Bill represents WCW and WCW and W. You know what I mean? It's like they haven't – they. so the, the one thing about Bill is I think that Bill's success is because of the mistakes of Sting. Which is crazy because we clamored for Sting for so many years. And, you know, we can go back to the old Triple H argument. Obviously, they wanted to end the war finally. Triple H gets a victory. We can talk about yeah, that until the, uh, the cows come off. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's completely ridiculous looking back. And then, obviously, Sting's unfortunate uh, career ending at this point, neck injury. But, you know, Goldberg, are you, are, so you are surprised with how Goldberg's reaction has been in that obviously the fans are just still going nuts for it. And what is it about Goldberg that we just go crazy for? <laughs> I think that it's the feeling that, unfortunately, one of the problems of the, the modern television is that people are on so much TV that they'll get over to a certain level, but they never fully break through like a Bill Goldberg did. You know, and Bill Goldberg was a product of a lot of TV, too, but if you remember when Bill Goldberg was, was getting over, what was the formula? He went in there and beat everyone in a minute. Who does that now? You know, I mean, when, when I was a kid and probably when you were a kid, the, when, when the heels would come into the territory – and, um, you know, be, be groomed. If, if a guy was being groomed for the babyface champion, he came in and killed everyone for weeks and weeks and weeks, and he had an aura about him. Now, if they come up, they would be doing, you know, long back-and-forth matches, trading near falls, win, win one week, which means you lose the next week, 
and then they go, you know, you don't get over to the same level because of it. Like, look at even AJ getting pinned on Tuesday. You know, you know, I mean, I, you know, but but with the guys from the past, they came in with that aura, and so they were really larger than life. And this TV, this TV is great at creating mid card wrestlers. There's all kinds of great mid card wrestlers, and they're all talented. But it's really not so great at creating main eventers because. You know, they they hardly book anyone as a real true main eventer. The only ones they really do is you know Braun Strowman, John Cena, Roman Reigns. You know, and and that's almost that's almost it. So these guys like Lesnar, who who they don't do that booking with because he's not around enough, or Undertaker because he comes from the other era, or Bill Goldberg because he comes from another era. Those guys can those guys walk in, and they don't have that taint on them. And I think that that's why they come in. All of them came in. That's why the Rumble, I think, was had so much interest was because you had those three guys that that the fans saw as really larger than life stars, as opposed to our Dolph Ziggler's and and you know Sami Zayn's and you know even Chris Jericho's and stuff like that. In the sense that, yeah, they're all great, but we see them win and we see them lose. And and at the end of the day, it's not important if they win or lose anyway. Whereas with those guys. Bill Goldberg, yeah, maybe I saw him lose twice in my life, but you know he won like 150 times compared to, you know what I mean? It's it's right. it's just a different, it's it's a completely different um, mentality of, of of and and again also the stars from the Attitude Era, you know, wrestling was bigger then, so those stars were bigger. Yeah, but you know, no offense to the guys from the Attitude Era, you know, the surprise guys and the big stars were the you know Undertaker, Brock Lesnar, Goldberg. I mean. You know, you, you throw the road dog out there, but uh, I don't think he's really going to take anything away from the fact that the three biggest legends that you could possibly think of were in the match. And I think a lot of people kind of lost, uh, you know, that thought process. But it's also Hall of Fame season, and we heard the Rock and Roll Express going in. That's uh, that's very cool because uh, I don't think they would have uh, been pegged as guys to be in a WWE Hall of Fame. But that's another thing that's taken on another genesis. The WWE Hall of Fame now kind of went from being something that people – well, it went from being something people kind of scoffed at to now it's a complete honor. But what do you think about the Rock and Roll Express being finally brought into the fold uh, for the WWE? Well, I'm happy for them. They were really great. So, you know, and, and you know, sometimes they'll put people in the Hall of Fame that don't deserve it. And, you know, I mean, Rock and Roll Express clearly do deserve it. So that's good. But it's like because of the network, who they have on the network. It's like, you know, examples like for years and years and years, obviously – uh, Jerry Briscoe and Jim Ross always pushed Danny Hodge. I mean, because you know who's more of a Hall of Famer than Danny Hodge? Nobody. You know, I was not saying nobody, but but you know he's he's like the you know right up there with anybody, right? And but because they don't have the footage of him, it's always turned down. But now that they have and they're marketing this library and the Rock and Roll Express are all over those '80s Crockett shows in the Mid South to a degree. It's like you know now you know it's it's it's. Um, you know, it's it's good marketing to put them in the Hall of Fame, and that's why they they go in. But at least, you know, they're 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 very much deserving, and I'm glad they're going to have their de- their their you know that day. I know with when when um you know Ricky and you know when when they got voted in the Observer Hall of Fame, and I called up Ricky, and he was so happy. So I know with the WWE Hall of Fame, you know, especially because those guys still wrestle, and and it it you know it it adds a little bit to their marketing. I think you know that that they're like that, and then it's good for them. I'm glad that they got it. Absolutely. Where I'm located in Northern Virginia, uh, in Southern Virginia, Rock and Roll Express are staples on <laughs> nearly every independent card that's uh, that's rocking through the uh, the Richmond, Roanoke area of Virginia. But just do you have any kind of uh, idea, perhaps, on any other people we might see? Because I don't really think a, a, a true 
headliner has uh, kind of been divulged uh, as of yet. Well, Kurt's, actually, the, Kurt's, uh, the, head, Kurt's the headliner as far as I know. That's then, true, Kurt um, Angle. But we have Goldberg on the show, too, so that's why I was kind of, you know, surprised that they brought I, I don't in think, Kurt Angle I don't think they're going to do I don't think they're going to do Goldberg this year. I mean, I, obviously they will do Goldberg, and it may even be next year. I thought for sure they would do Daniel Bryan this year, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen either. Um, but, you know, the, you know, those guys would be, like, the key guys. Um, you know, I mean, the names as far as, like, uh, you know, I've, I've heard, like, DDP and um, Beth Phoenix and um, I'm trying to remember who else, Christian and, and Rick Rude's name has been, been bumped around. So, you know, those are some names that I've heard bumped around. Now, as far as, like, rumors are concerned, and everyone always kind of has their own or they make them up, do you ever, like, look at anybody else or, or get mad at anybody else that, that oh, that rumor has no uh, validity to it, or you just kind of ignore it and you just, you know, you just keep kind of plowing through and, and doing, you know, your job and not worrying about what they're putting out there? Yeah, I don't I, – it's so hard just to, to, to keep up. I mean, if I hear something – I mean, I hear so much stuff – and but I always like I have like several people that that like if I hear it I'll immediately if it's something new I'll check it and sometimes they don't know but usually at least one of them will know something and or and if not one of them will go you know what there's nothing to it and that happens all the time where I'll hear a story and I'll go to people and it's just like nope nothing to it and uh, and that's fine too you know because you know but but a lot of the time I'll hear something that I don't believe and I'll go like what's so is this right and it's like oh yeah. That's right. <laughs> so, you know, just one of those things. Now, any truth to the rumor going out there? And I know you kind of said it on Twitter. You said sooner rather than later. What about the Hulkster? Is is there any kind of you know thought process? I mean, I I, I believe what I believe what Brooks said. Um, you know, when she said that you know probably WrestleMania, and then when Hulk said it's not true, it's not true, and then they went to Brooke, and Brooke goes, "Well, he can say what he wants," and like that. I mean, just that that sly reaction. Um, I mean, she's not making it up. So, I mean, I'm sure there was talk, and I always figured it would be WrestleMania, but, I mean, as far as, like, I don't know that 100%. I do know that they're, that you know, you can tell that, that they've softened things on Hogan. They don't ban mentioning his name and things like that, which they did for a long time. And I think that they're setting setting that up. I'm sure that there's been talk, you know, in some direction of, you know, it's not if, it's when. Like, if it's not at WrestleMania, maybe it'll be at next year's WrestleMania, maybe it'll be at SummerSlam. But there's not a doubt that it's going to happen. It's just a question of what Dave Vince feels comfortable with it happening. And I don't know, you know, WrestleMania feels like it's the right day, but I don't know that. Um, but but I do know, I do know, you know, that, that you know, it, it with, with them, especially like with, with WWE, it's like there's no such thing as never. You know what I mean? Like, there were things I thought would never happen. You know, I never thought Bruno San Martino would be in the WWE Hall of Fame. And he, he, he was. Um, I never really... I, I, I can't say... I, 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 I always thought that Bret Hart would be in the WWE Hall of Fame. I always did. But I never thought that he would um, be on television as much as he ended up being on television. Um, I thought there was a chance. And it's the same thing, like... But, but I, I, you know, it's like time heals wounds. And, um, yeah, um, but, but, you know, this one, again, Hogan didn't turn on the company. Hogan just did something really, really stupid many, many years ago, and he became a liability, and they had to do what they had to do. And they, you know, they did have to do it. I mean, you know, I, some people will say, oh, why did they do it? They had, they had no choice. They had to do it at the time. And they're waiting for the right time to bring them back. And I think that they always probably knew 
they would bring him back. I just remember when, um, you know, one of the key ones, that, you remember what, what Pee, Wee Her- Pee Wee Herman, I think it was, or Mar- and Marv Albert, okay? There were things that they did in the past. Oh, yeah. And I remember oh. in both cases, in both cases with both of those guys, um, people were going, like, they'll never be back, they'll never be back. And I remember when, when Pee Wee Herman, Pee Wee Herman, Vince actually did a speech in front of the talent, because Pee Wee Herman will never be back. You know, he will never, um, you know, I mean, he ruined his career, he will never be back. And, and you know what? Pee Wee Herman came back. And I think Vince knew from that that everyone, you know, everyone short of um, Chris Benoit, you know what I mean, um, will eventually be forgiven and, and, and can come back. Hmm. I definitely could see that. I mean, it's funny. Bruno, Brett, H- Hogan, obviously, uh, a few times had uh, obviously some issues with Vince and came back. So I feel like he's definitely on his way and on his way back. But what about a guy like Nakamura? Is he on his way up to WWE or is he still going to be in NXT? <sighs> He should be up already. I mean, you know what? I mean, it was it was funny when he first came in, and and you know he was going to go to NXT, and people were going, how can they put him in NXT? And I was saying, you know what? I want him in NXT first because it is it is different. It is different, okay? But when I saw his match with Sami Zayn that first night, it's like he's be out of here, and he's be out of here. This guy's got so much charisma, and there's like. You know, what is he, is is he really going to learn? Like, he's got more showmanship and charisma than anyone on the main roster. So it's not, what are we going to teach him in NXT? You know what I mean? I mean, not, I mean, yes, there's little lessons, but he could learn those same lessons on the main roster drawing money, big, drawing big money. So, um, but they had their idea, you know, of what they wanted to do. And, and, yeah, it's like with Joe. Both of those guys, Joe, you know, Joe it was another one. I mean, yeah, Joe could have had a, a nice, um, original program in NXT, but he should have been up a long time ago, but he's up now. Nakamura, because of his age, really should have been up six months ago, eight months ago. Um, so hopefully it's as soon as possible. Once When he lost that title to Bobby Roode, it was just like, I was so happy because it's just like, God, get him. You know, nothing against NXT, but he needs to be Nakamura on the big stage. That's the reason he left New Japan. I mean, he, he was already a major league star in New Japan, but he was not a WWE international star. NXT, he's, you know what I mean? NXT is no bigger than New Japan. Um, you, you know, it's, in fact, it's not as big. But, um, you know, it is, the, it is the gateway to the WWE. And, you know, if, if he was 27, I wouldn't have felt the same way. I'd go, okay, you know, be patient and everything. But at his age, you know, they really need to get him up there. It's kind of strange with Joe and him. Is that like a Triple H call? Or is that a Vince call? Like, why would they? It's, it, ultimately, it's a Vince call. You know, when it comes to that stuff. So yeah, um, I mean, yeah, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, Nakamura was whatever, and and Strowman was up in ten ma- ten matches or five matches or three matches in NXT, whatever <laughs> it was. It was almost none, and he was up. You know what I mean? It's just so you know you would just go like you know, and who needed it more? I mean, Strowman was the one who really needed it. That is so, so true. And obviously, you know, he's he's still a little green and he's not as good. And obviously Nakamura is one of the best in the world and has been for years. With AJ Styles kind of not really having a Mania match, could it possibly be AJ versus Nakamura? You know, they had that awesome match at Wrestle Kingdom. Could that possibly or is AJ? Uh, I mean, it's, it's I, don't, I don't expect it, but, you know, Vince could do it. Um, it might be early because I think that for a guy, you know, for a Mania match, you would almost want the guy in the main roster already. So maybe they could shoot for next year's WrestleMania, you know, the 2018 WrestleMania. 17, like, if they would have started in January, 
Um, they could have done it, but now we're already in February, and they're probably not even calling them up anytime soon. So now it's almost like it's rushed, and I just don't, I don't feel that that's the direction they're going. So who is AJ going to wrestle? Is it going to be Shane McMahon, or is it going to be a John Cena rematch? That's, the last, name, that's the, the last name I heard was Shane McMahon. Hopefully that changes, but that was, you know, and they haven't, if you watch the shows, they haven't gone so deep in that direction where they can't pull back. So I'm hoping that pull back and it turns out to be someone else, but I don't know who that person would be right now. I mean, um, most of the, most of the guys that I would want to see, I mean, you could put AJ and Dean Ambrose in a, some sort of stipulation match and, and like to climax their feud since they feuded for a long time and they'll have a great match, but I don't think they're going to do that. Cause they just put, the, usually they don't put matches that are going to be on Mania on TV and they just put AJ and Dean on TV, you know, last week. And John Cena, I guess the latest rumors that he's going to be in a mixed tag match. Is that kind of set in stone, or, or maybe it's Yeah, that's, that's still the plan, Joe? as far as I know. Oh, wow. I know it's still the plan as of a couple of days ago. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what it's going to be, which, yeah, when I first heard that, when I first, that, so that's one of those things. When I first heard that rumor, right, the first thing mm. I, I said to myself was, that can't be true. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> that can't yeah. be true, and I kind of asked around, and everyone said, you know what? That's right. Because, you know, sometimes you hear those things and you just go, come on. And, you know. But then when I start thinking about it, it's like, I do get it. If it's her last match or her last big match, she's never done a mixed tag with John. John's probably going to want to do that. Miz and Maurice are a cool act. Um, yeah, John could have a better match and should have a better match at WrestleMania. He absolutely should. But, you know, if it's, it's going to be – and, 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 you know, if it's going to be her, her last run and her last hurrah or maybe one of her, her last big matches – and they have, you know, some idea, whether it's an engagement or something, you know, you can do it once at WrestleMania and it's, 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 you know, it's fine. Now, if they do absolutely nothing with it and it's just a throwaway and it's a waste of John at the show and when the show's over, I'll, I'll probably have a different answer. But I think that they'll probably have a reason for it when it's all said and done. Kind of, like you said, it's kind of one of those things you scratch your head, like, wow, is that really, you know, a rumor? Like, I thought this guy was going to wrestle Samoa Joe or, you know, something. He was going to wrestle Samoa Joe at one point, you know, but that's when they moved, then they moved Samoa Joe to the raw side. Hmm. Now, as I start to wind it down a bit here, I just was always curious of this, and it's so many people out there either take your observer, and sometimes they credit you, sometimes they don't, or, or they basically build our whole website on kind of taking stuff from you. Do you ever get bothered by kind of like the pretenders or the copycats out there? Because, I mean, you're doing the work, and these guys, I mean, I guess there are, some of them are paying for the newsletter, but it's almost like they're feeding What are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, it's just the world as, it's the world as it is, and, you know, I can't change the world, so I don't, I don't really worry about it too much. Sometimes I get madder when they, when they, like, do it and they screw it up, or they'll have me saying something they don't say, or... Sometimes it's the opposite. Like, I'll, I have those days where I wake up and people will just go, oh, my God, you said this. And it's like, I never said that. You know, it's like, oh, it's right, right here. You said that. And I go, I never said that. I never said that. You know, those <laughs> days aren't fun. But if it's correct of what I said, then um, it's just kind of like, yeah, it's just how it is. I mean, it's, you know, as long as it's accurate, I mean, I can't get mad. When it's inaccurate, yeah, I can get mad and I should get mad. And what's it like? Winning the Jim Melby Award, obviously you're going to be in the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. What is an honor like that like to you? I'm I'm not really the right, you know, it, it, I don't know how to explain it, but it's it's like I don't want to sound like I disregarded it, and I was very happy 
that, that when they offered it to me and all that, but it wasn't that big of a deal to me. But it, it, it was more, uh, honestly, that one was more for my family than me. Um, I'm just not really into, I'm not into that kind of awards thing. I mean, I'm really happy I got it. I had a great time when I was there, you know, and, and, and everything. But it's not like, I don't, I don't feel defined by something like that. You know what I mean? It's just not, um, um, I don't know. I mean, the, the, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. That's probably not a good answer, but, um, I mean, I was really happy that, that I could bring my family there and go through that, that thing that, that made me very, and I had a great weekend when I was there and, and everything, but it's not like, um, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it, it, you know, just for me, it, it wasn't, I, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that, it's, but it's, it's, it, wasn't, it wasn't for me. That's all I could say. It's like it, it's, it's, it's not um, – I, I, I don't know. I don't get – you know, and I think other people are like that too. It's just kind of like I, I don't know what it is, but mm, I don't know. Well, to me, it's almost like you finally didn't recognize, you know, for all the hard work and, you know, being a great journalist and things like that. But when was the point where it was like the guys in, in the, the locker room or like uh, maybe Vince or maybe whoever running a promotion was kind of against you? And then kind of where did it turn where everyone was kind of like, I don't know. Cause some people, some people will never turn and some people turn 30, 30 years ago, depending on the person, you know? So it's like, um, you know, I think the guys now are way more accepting for sure, because I'm part of, you know, like they grew up and I was part of the business, whereas the ones that didn't grow up with me part of the business resented that I was there. Um, but there's still people, you know, that resent, you know, me being there and everything like that. Um, but it is cool. I mean, there are, there are cool things, um, you know. I mean, some of the guys now are, 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 are pretty cool, you know. And it's, 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 it's a totally different generation of wrestlers, too. I mean, by and large, I mean, there's sometimes I, 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 I think, like, God, I wish the guys were – we're like the old guys in certain ways, okay, in certain ways, you know, as far as like individuals and, and um, characters, you know what I mean? Like, like, you know what I mean? But, but by and large, it really is, and people, older people are going to really hate me saying this, it really is, um, I'm not saying it wasn't better when you had all those territories, because in many ways it was, but I mean, as far as the people who are in the business are generally way better as people than the people who were in the business before, because before it was really a con man business. It really was. It was a con man business. And sometimes, and the people um, who've been in the business for long periods of time, even today, really, they grew up in that con man business. And a lot of them still are. But when I look at the younger guys in the business, it's like, it's really, it's, it's like, um, it's a much, you know, it's, it's like in, in, in the eighties, in the eighties in Japan, put it this way, cause, because we would always go like, um, when I, when I go to Japan and everything, I always noticed like it was a big difference, and it was like, well, in the United States, it's a con man business, and here, it's a sport. Well, now, what I what we have now is is now, it's not a con man business anymore in the United States. It's a performance art, and people are and these guys are artists. I mean, I'm not saying they're and they're athletes too, but but they are artists, and they work so hard at trying to do the best they can. I mean, you look at some of the stuff that guys do in matches and some of the matches that we see now, and I'm just saying, like, whether you like the old style more or not, the thought process that goes into a match now is so much more elaborate than at any time in history. I mean, they, these guys think and think, and, 
they want to deliver great matches up and down the card. I mean, if you look at the cards now, they really are much better than, than you know. I mean, the the top guys. I mean, like the top matches of of, of the past are every bit as good as the top matches now. But up and down the show, you don't have like guys just kind of like I'm not in the main event. I'm just gonna like just you know, do nothing. You know what I mean? I've been to shows where guys did nothing because, ah, the house is down. I'm going to do nothing. I mean, now it's like these guys, they are real, you know, and, and, and some of it is, is um, they're not working as many dates, so you don't have to hold back as much. So it's, it's just different. But I, I know, like, up and down, whether it's Ring of Honor or Evolve or PWG, these guys, I mean, the stuff that they do and how hard they work and how much they put, into their matches, they you know like again, they're it's it's not they're not in there going like ah you know we're gonna fool these fans into thinking what we're doing is real and and do like some finish to to to, to you know what I mean? It's like they're out there trying to give fans a complete experience, a fantastic match. You know you don't always do it, but that's the mentality behind it. You know something new, something you know I, I some of the guys I talk to and their attitudes towards wrestling, it's it's like. Um, you know, some of the guys, you know, like a Ricky Steamboat always had that. But we've got a business, like, filled with Ricky Steamboats now. Ricky Steamboat was the exception of the rule back then. You know, where it's like they're really into giving the fans this great performance night after night. If they don't, they feel like they're, you know, they're not, they're, you know, they have a drive to be the best, like Ric Flair had. We got all these guys who want to be, you know, Ric Flair. You know, back then, Ric Flair was the standout, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, and that's a great point, and, I'm always curious, you know, because obviously the Slayers and the Steamboats and the guys that kind of set the bar for the wrestlers that are, you know, today. And then when you look in Japan, I mean, Misawa, Kawada, Kobashi, you don't get better than that. But who are some of your kind of all-time favorites? Do those guys kind of rank up there as your favorites? Or maybe those, somebody yeah, we wouldn't you know, think I of? I mean, it's, it's like, yeah, those kind of guys. You know, your Flair and Steamboat. Even when I was younger, Pat Patterson, Terry Funk, um, Dory Funk, Harley Race. Jumbo, Saruta, Brody, Hanson, you know, from that era, and then Tiger Mask, Dynamite, um, through Liger, and, and, you know, but the guys now, you know, I mean, Tanahashi and Omega, Okada's going to be an all-time great, um, Brett, Sean, you know, I mean, you know, all, all they, I think most people would kind of have the same type of guys, because they're the guys, like, before, I don't think that the, there was, like, I think that the modern fan would look at it like that. Whereas before I think fans would more look at, um, um, you know, there, I mean, and there's still a group of fans who would look at like Hulk Hogan or, you know, um, you know, guys that, you know, you know, you know what I mean? Like ultimate warrior and all that. And there are people who do that and everything, but I think that there's also a differentiation in people Well, before. I don't think people really like differentiate between say Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. I mean, there were fans who did, but they were the minority, but now I think people, and there's nothing against Hogan. I think people realize Hogan was a great, great, great attraction. But, you know, it's not like he's a better wrestler than, you know, really, an in-ring performer, if you're going to go watch a match, is he really going to be better than Shawn Michaels? No. I mean, is he a bigger star? Yeah, he's a million times bigger star. And there's nothing wrong with that, and that's great. But you understand the difference. Whereas before, I don't think fans fans were more into, well, Hulk Hogan, you know, whoever wins the matches is the bigger star. And so right. the guys who are protected must be the best because they're protected. Whereas now, it's really not about who's protected. And you don't hear people going like, you know, Roman Reigns is better than, than I don't know, um, you know, whatever, you know, better than anyone or, 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 you know, better than, 
AJ Styles. I mean, just the people, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's people who are very casual who think that, but you're, you know, the number of people who will say, oh, AJ blows away Roman Reigns is, is higher than ever. And, and Vince is having a hard time dealing with that because in Vince's eyes, AJ, I mean, um, Roman Reigns is the prototype of what he's looking for to be a star, and AJ is a good hand. But as it turns out, AJ's way more over than Roman Reigns, you know, because the, the audience has changed. So, I mean, I think that, that you know, that, so, and that's another good thing about it is, is like, I think that the, I mean, there's, because of social media, I think there's a lot of wrestlers who, who have a negative opinion of the audience in, in a lot of ways, like they did before. But if you really want, you know, and, and you know, in, 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 in another sense, I think that there's also a thing where a lot of these guys know that the audience really does appreciate their work, whereas before you didn't have that as much. So it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword. That's so well said. And, and I always wondered with Vince is, you know, the, the obsession with Reigns, he's kind of like the prototypical, he looks good, he, you know, he's muscular, he's got size, he can talk a little, you know, he obviously is related to The Rock, which doesn't hurt uh, at all. Why won't he turn him heel? It seemed like he it would kind of benefit him. Like when The Rock was with the nation, you know, it really benefited him in the long run. I cannot answer that. Um, I think that, you know, I, I only think that it's stubbornness and the idea that, that in this case, like sometimes you'll let the audience dictate. And I think Vince's thing is I'm smarter than the audience and they're wrong. And that's why he won't do it. Unfortunately, in this case, he's wrong. He should have done it. I think that one of the reasons that he doesn't is because of John Cena, uh, because he didn't do it with John Cena, and he was right not to do it with John Cena. But not everyone's John Cena. I mean, John Cena, John Cena had a appeal, maybe because he was a better promo, um, maybe um, you know whatever it is. Maybe it was just because he's a better promo. But John Cena had an appeal far, far, far beyond Roman Reigns, and while a lot of people didn't like John Cena and saw him as this like um, the old days of wrestling are better and John Cena is the face of the new day of wrestling so we don't like him or whatever reason you know he you know they push him super hard you know and everything um, but he he still like he he sold tickets you know even when people were booing him they would buy his merchandise like crazy and Roman Reigns yeah he sells tickets to a degree yeah he moves some merchandise but he's not in the league of John Cena and because of that I think that if they had turned him heel um, a year and a half ago, by now, I think that the negativity towards him would have dissipated, and I think that in the long run, they'd have gotten where they want to get with him a lot sooner by turning him heel, just like with The Rock, honestly. If The Rock had stayed babyface, when, when The Rock was starting to get booed, if he'd stayed babyface, I'm not saying that his career never would have made it, because he was so talented that it would have. I know sometimes he even will say, oh, you know, my career was about to go down the toilet. But I, I believe you know, that, that he was going to make it either way. But without a doubt, him going heel was the greatest thing that he ever did. Even though in the long run, we all knew that his money, you know, that his, he was going to be a great babyface. When he went heel, it was to make him, you know, he was going to be a babyface. And that, that led to it. And, and Roman Reigns should have followed the same path. That when it was very clear that the people were going to reject him as a babyface, he needed to go heel and get that one or two year run. And when it's time to go back and the people, you know, you'll know, and it will happen because every great heel at some point, you know, almost every great heel, there's probably exceptions to every rule, but almost every great heel at one point, you know, the crowd wants them to go face because they've had enough of them as a heel. Hmm. And usually when that happens, 
they're more of a baby face than they, than they would have been had they never turned. Right. Great point. Yeah, exactly. It almost enhances it uh, to a degree. Yeah, because the fans wanted it, and they, they demanded you turn, and you're following the When you follow the fans, the fans are going to jump on board a lot more than when you lead the fans, even though you many times you have to lead the fans. But the perfect one is when the fans... When the fans think that they caused it, that's the perfect way to do it. Definitely. Now, also, I, I'm, I'm so curious of this. I know we talked about some great matches, but you know, you've been you know been everywhere. You've seen it all. Do you have a couple of favorite matches that kind of stick out to you? Maybe above oh, God, some of the other ones. Not as far as hundreds. Not as far as ratings, but maybe some. Maybe some random ones that I can like go out and just uh, watch that maybe I haven't even seen before. No, I mean all the famous ones. I mean I don't I don't know any famous ones that you know that that aren't out there or anything like that. There was in the I did the Observer Yearbook in '89 and it was like the hundred best matches of the '80s, and um, you know like those all those matches they were you know great for their era, and um, you know the ones the famous pay per view matches of the '90s. I mean they're they're. I mean, there's, uh, you know, I mean, I can off the top of my head, I just remember like there's a Ric Flair, Ricky Morton match, you know, or probably two dozen of them that I saw um, that, you know, people don't really talk about, but those matches were, were fantastic. Um, but, you know, I mean, you know, we get great matches. We get great matches on a lot of pay-per-views. I won't say every pay-per-view, but we, we get more of them. I mean, my God, just think of, did you guys see the match? Um, it was from um, Over the Top Wrestling with Ricochet and Will Osprey from a couple weeks ago. Nobody even no. talks about that match, and that match was unbelievable. Um, no, but yeah, but, I saw that on, on Twitter. People were going crazy about it. Right, right. That match was unbelievable. Or the the match I saw in um, in September, I think it was, with the Young Bucks and Osprey and Ricochet and um, Matt Seidel and and Adam Cole. That match in in Reseda, and that match was like incredible. And and um, you know, like there's 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 but there's stuff like that. Um, you know, I heard that there's a match with the Young Bucks against Marty Skrull and um, Will Ospreay in England, which I haven't seen. And people that, that saw it were going like, it's the best match we've ever seen. So it's like, it's like every week or two, you know, we got a match. I mean, just this year on mainstream, we're one month in, and we had AJ and John Cena, which was really, to me, the best WWE match in a couple of years. Um, the Suzuki match just a couple of days ago with Okada, Okada mm-hmm. Omega, um, we're going to get, um, you know, really the top four matches at Wrestle Kingdom. All four of them um, were just off the charts. This weekend we're going to get Dragon Lee and, and Takahashi, which is just going to be ridiculously good. Um, you know, it's just like, God, we get so many great matches now. So, I mean, you, it's, 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 <laughs> it's almost hard to stand out because, you know, now like a great match is, is just something you expect, whereas before a great match is something that you raved about for weeks. And do you think this is weird? But do you think that a guy like Cena and a guy like AJ they hear about or see the Okada Omega match and like, oh, we got to top that, and then they almost, you know, almost want to have one of those legendary performances, or do you think it's something that flows naturally with these guys? I that's a hard one, but I do think because of the timing that there was, you know, you know, what I mean, they Cena and AJ obviously went out there to have an incredible match. I mean, just the way it was laid out and everything, it's like, it, you know what I mean? It wasn't like, okay, let's just, let's, you know, we're in the pay-per-view main event, let's have a good match. They, I'm not saying that they were out there trying to 
top Omega and Okada or it's because of it. But I do think it's kind of there, especially with, you know, AJ's a hard-driven guy. I don't know, like, you know, you'd almost have to ask him, and I think he would tell you the truth. So I don't know what exactly motivates him other than he's extremely motivated because you don't get this good. You know what I mean? Like, there's, there's things he's had to overcome to, to, to do, to, you know what I mean? And, and you don't do that unless you're just like a super, super motivated guy. I don't know what he drives his motivation from. You know, whether it's to be the best in the entire business and prove it. I mean, that's, I know what Rick was. I mean, Rick's motivation was to be, Rick had to be the best guy in the business. And so he worked so hard to be the best guy in the business. AJ, I, I think, probably has that. And, and so if somebody else is really good, I think there's that motivation of, um, you know, I'm as good as he is. You know, and I believe I'm as good as he is, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to do as good as he does. So, you know, it, it's... I, I don't know, you know, it's like, that's, that's an interesting question, like, uh, but, but I, I, I can't really answer it, but my gut is, is that there, there was something there to prove on that day, because you don't, you know, that ma- you don't really have a match that good unless there's a real motivating factor to have it. It definitely seems like, uh, you know, the, it, which is good in a way, where somebody's watching him, and it's almost like, oh, i got to step my game up, I, I want to have the best match of the year. It's almost good in that aspect where the fans it, it, are. It, it, it is good. I think Owens and um and, and Roman Reigns had that that in their mind too, you know, in the sense of you know not that they you know I think that that I watched that match and it was another one where I go like they, whatever it was, these guys wanted to prove something. Maybe they wanted to prove that they could have the best match even over um and thinking how good AJ's match was going to be. So we've got to really you know go all out to to do it. But I mean it's it you can see that there's there's real competition for having the best match these days. And, um, and that's made, you know, as a fan, that's tremendous, you know, because we're getting better matches. Um, there's an, I mean, there's a flip side to everything. You know, there's a negative to it too because of the punishment and everything like that. It's just like, you know, great hard-nosed football, you know, is great spectator sport, but there's a flip side. Or great, you know, the really great boxing match, the really great MMA fight, is like you know fantastic, but there's the physical price that you you know you, you there's a physical price for an unbelievable match. There's a physical price, you know. I mean, every, everything trying to be the best in a physical sport, um, you know. There's you know you, you got to balance it out. It's it's like like even in like that Omega Okada match, like that back suplex off the off the top rope. It's like man, you know. I mean, yeah, it was a crazy moment. Yeah, did it help the match? Probably did. To me, I, I don't want to say it did because. The match was great either way, but I, I hated that they did it. You know what I mean? It's like there's – I just don't like to see guys in a position where you're doing something that's so dangerous that's going to shorten your career because that's the thing I, I just hope that these guys – you know, I because I, 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 they're all going to pay the price, especially when you get older and you realize that everyone's going to pay the price. So I just don't want them in wheelchairs and, and things like that because, you know, Dynamite Kids would be the example. I don't, I don't want a generation of, of Dynamite Kids – you know, coming up. I mean, that's that's just not it. That's not a good thing. As great as the matches would be, it's not a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. You said it right. And hopefully, you know, Omega's neck holds up after that. It was a you know vicious spot in, in that match. When you really look at it, I mean, he landed basically directly on his neck. Yeah, Okada, Okada, both of them really, but Okada. Yeah, yep, yep, yeah. Now, looking through the past, obviously, you know, we mentioned you covered a lot of ground and you watched almost everything and you, know, you work 100 hours a week looking back though do you have a favorite 
time period of wrestling where where where, where was your favorite? Would it be like that all Japan eighties nineties era, or or you you don't like you don't really Different think ones. in that kind of terms? Different ones. I really enjoyed nineteen eighty three, because um, there were so many companies doing so well. Um, 83, 84 to a degree, but 84 was tough because I knew it was going to end. In 83, you didn't know it was going to end. It was just like, wow, wrestling's really gotten great. In 84, it was like, yeah, 84 was a good year, 85 was a good year, but you knew that there was the beginning of the end because it, it was, you know, I knew Vince Vince was going to probably take over and, and all these companies were going to go into business. So even, you know, and then they all started falling. So... um so, so eighty three because of the variety and everything like that. And Japan was on fire, and Mexico was on fire. I mean, it was really. If you really look back historically at that year, it's it's really amazing. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Um, I mean, the Attitude Era to a degree was wild and everything like that, and the popularity couldn't be denied. But I still liked eighty three better. Um, right now, what, what's going on now is is I, I, with the rise of the indies and all the great matches. I like this year a lot, but um, I think I still want to say um, '83 is, is you know in Japan um, with all Japan. Yeah, I would say, but uh, you know what? There's a lot of eras. In, I mean, the early '80s Japan, like '80 80, '83 in Japan was fantastic. It really was just fantastic. Um, 84 was still fantastic there in Japan. Um, yeah, the 90s were, you know, I'd say, you know, whatever, 90, 90 to 97 or so in Japan was awfully, awfully good, too. You know, that that for sure. Um, yeah, you know, this mid-90s Japan, yeah, it was, it was, it was phenomenal. And uh, right now, Japan, it's not as popular, but, you know, God, there's an endless supply of great matches. I mean, I watch... You know, Big Japan and All Japan and NOAA and DDT. You know, and I'll watch matches on those shows. And I'm like, God, these guys are so great. You know, up and down. I mean, guys that, like, don't even get the pub. Um, you know, New Japan's, like, the dominant group and everything like that. And, you know, they're, and they're out there in front of two and 300 people. But, they're, but God damn, they're, they're really good. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like uh, Shizaki from NOAA, Marufuji, obviously everyone should know him. He's awesome. And then... Yeah. Um, um, I guess uh, is it Kento Maihara? Kento, Kento Miyahara is great. Yes, yeah, from all He's Japan. a guy nobody yeah. really talks about, and he he's he's and he's young, and yeah, you know, he's. I I would love for those kind of guys to get more exposure um, than they get, but you know that's just the nature of the beast. Um, you know, I mean, even even like some of the guys and like you know you watch Dragon Gate, they're 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 crazy and, and everything like that. Um, but um, you know Harashima and um, Takashita and, and and these guys that nobody talks about, they, they're they're so good. You know, there's 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 just a wide variety of of great wrestlers. You know, the CMLL guys. Um, you know, I watch I don't watch CMLL every Friday, but I watch it most Fridays. And I mean, that's my favorite show of the week. Most week most weeks, if you ask me, my favorite show it's gonna be the Friday night CMLL show, just because. I love the atmosphere, and, and um, you know, they've got, you know, the Dragon Lee and Volador and these guys who, they deliver it almost every week. Now, this is a really hard question. Obviously, I can go to the Observer and I can look and say, oh, look, uh, Kobashi has so many uh, five-star matches or, or maybe the highest-rated matches, or even Masawa, who's, I believe, the highest-ranked guy on your star rating list. Who is the best wrestler of all time? Is there a best? Is there a way to kind of calculate that? Know. Is it impossible to say? 
you could you could say in your opinion who's the best. Um, it's hard for me. I mean, I, at one point I would have said Ric Flair, and I still would say like there's night after night house shows stuff that people never saw. Um, it's it's hard for me. You know, I'll see guys now have these great matches on pay per view that are as good as Ric Flair's matches, but on house shows, not so much, not so much. Even Sean. I, I, you know, I saw enough Sean House Show matches and Ric Flair House Show matches that Ric Flair's House Show matches were way, way better, way, way better. Um, Sean's biggest matches were just as good as Flair's biggest matches, um, and I think Sean, in some ways, was more talented. Not as a promo though, and not as an overall performer. I wouldn't say though. Um, but you know, um, I mean, it's hard to say against Kobashi. I mean, it's like I would watch him, and I would think that's like Michael Jordan. You know, so so he would be one of them for sure. Um, you know, Sean. You know, Sean's in any in, in any conversation, has to be. Brett is. Um, you know, Brett's right. Brett, Brett's right there. There's things about Brett and Terry Funk, those two guys, that that they're in their in in certain things that they do, they're better than anyone I've ever seen. Like like, Terry Funk is better at getting a dead crowd to just go crazy than anyone I've ever seen. Um, he's one of the smartest in-ring workers I've ever seen. That's why he could come back in his 50s and still do it, um, you know, more than just athletically. Um, so he would be um, like that. Brett, I always thought Brett had an innate ability to construct a match that was above anybody else. Um, those those Bret Hart matches, there was something about Bret Hart matches that, that – um, they weren't necessarily the most outstanding matches, but they would get me in a different way than you know maybe Terry Funk and Brett. That 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 you know other guys other guys couldn't. I think with Brett it was the I could never completely. No matter how many times I watched Brett, and I mean I was even and I'm even friends with the guy, I could never figure his match out. In the sense of, yeah, I know all of his moves, and I know when he makes his comeback, and this and that. But there was always something. He always switched something up. I never could figure out what he was going to do with Ric Flair or Triple H or Shawn Michaels. I always could, you know. I mean, I, I, once I saw him enough, I always could figure out. That's the one. The difference between Brett and Shawn to me was like with Shawn, I always knew his and, and Triple H. I always knew their moves before I, before they were coming. And with Brett, I didn't. So I always thought that that made Brett in that little way better than them. You know, that most people wouldn't notice. Um, but you know, maybe that's, you know, Marafuji's another one like that. Um, hmm. you know, when I watch, watch him, like Tanahashi is, is more like Ric Flair to me in the sense that, yeah, I know, I mean, he's outstanding and I know what he's going to do. Um, AJ is, is closer to Brett, even though I know every AJ move, the fact is, is that he'll pull something out at a certain point that I don't see coming. But the one this year, more than anybody else, like when I watched the, the um, the Marafuji matches with Okada and some of his matches in Noah, where it's just like, well, he, I don't see this one coming. And he's so, it's, his timing of when to do moves, I think, is, is I think that Okada, I mean, uh, Marfuji's timing of when to do moves is the best in the business. It's funny, you know, about Brett, and I always said this, even when I was a young kid growing up, and even now you watch some of his old matches, he was the only guy I could say that I don't know when he was selling. I don't know if he was legitimately hurt or if he was selling or what. He, he just had to, Best believability, believability factor yeah. for any wrestler that I've ever seen. Yeah, that, that's the that's exactly what's, when I would watch Shawn Michaels, 
I was in awe of his performance. When I would watch Bret Hart, knowing what I know, at some point I would get caught up in the idea of I was watching a contest and I had a rooting interest in the match that very few people could bring you to. So I think that's, that's where... And with Terry Funk, it was this aura of it being a fight. He could bring you, no matter what you knew, he could bring you to this place where you are watching a fight. Suzuki is like that, too. Mm-hmm. Um, Suzuki has that, that aura of, of making it feel very real. Um, that, that, you know, so, so, yeah, I mean, so like, I can't say, I can't point it out to one guy, but, but those would be the ones that pop into my head. Yeah, Dave, as we wrap it up here, you know, obviously this has been an amazing journey, uh, just for two guys like us who, and like I said at the top, you know, have kind of, uh, taken what we've done with this show and been able to use a lot of the stuff we learned reading The Observer and picking up my first one for the first time in 1988 and getting to see you uh, spar with Vince McMahon on the Phil Donahue show was a, uh, <laughs> was Unbelievable. a, complete, a complete early highlight of my uh, earlier days as a fan. But, you know, when you look at your whole entire career, obviously, we didn't even get the chance to touch on MMA, which is a whole other discussion. But what do you think your legacy is when you, you know, when you close The Observer for the last time and you say, look, I'm moving on, you've obviously done so much in the business, for the business, but what's the lasting legacy of Dave Meltzer in the professional wrestling world? I have no, I have no idea what it is, but I know what I want it to be, and it's probably what it won't be, and that's just that um, I was always straight with people, and that's it. That I was, you know, because people will go, oh, he's, this is, this, you know, it's, it's the funniest thing because it's like, um, oh, you know, like he favors his friends or something like that. And it's like, I really, you know, if you're my friend, I probably don't. Or, you know, he favors Japan, which is always like the one that cracks me up the most. Because if you read, like, I, I've written so much stuff critical of New Japan in the last year. And it's like, but you know what? I mean, it, but it's like, you, you know, what, but you know what? When they have a great match, I'm going to say, yeah, it's a freaking great match. But you know what? Like, you know, when WWE has a great show. It's it's a great show. I mean, it's like I'm I'm I really, you know, I, I just you know my my whole thing is I just want to be open minded. I don't want to be caught in the past. I'm scared to death about being caught in the past, and um, open minded about different styles of wrestling. There's not one thing that's the only way to do it. I mean, when people that that one bothers me is when people will judge something on on um, a standard that it's not fair to judge it on. Um, because it's something completely different. Like you watch Lucha and you go, oh, they're not doing this, this, and this. They're not doing the pattern that I grew up with. And it's like, no, they're doing their style. You know? But, but the, the, the ability to appreciate different styles and not be closed-minded. You know? I mean, at that sort of, you know, if I'll watch you know, whatever it is, if someone goes like, um, there's a great match in this promotion I've never heard of, and if I get a chance to watch it, usually I think it's a pretty great match. I don't want to be that guy who just goes, you know, it's not the wrestling I grew up with. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's right. wrestling's always going to change. It's always going to evolve. That's why I say like you know when when we talk about matches from 30 years ago and everything like that, it's like it's different. You know, it's like do I wish some of the old school things that were good about the old school wrestling are there? Would they be there now? Absolutely, absolutely, I do. Um, and there's certain things to learn. There's even moves and 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 sequences and stuff that you could do that that would be would work today. But it's still always going to change. You know what I mean? It's like the stuff that they did in the 70s, as well and wonderful as it was, um, you know, this fan base, it's just a different kind of a fan base. Some of the moves don't work now. 
um, some things that get overdone and you got to pull back. Um, everything evolves. You know, it's like you a match, you know, a match that was great five years ago. If you repeated it now, maybe it wouldn't be so great um, because we've seen that match, so to speak. So you've got to make wrinkles and change and things like that. So, um, you know, and I think the top guys know that you can't you can't fall into a you can't fall into a booking pattern. You can't fall into a performing pattern. Um, you know, it's just a, a, um, a you know, again, the business is always going to change, and you can never go and 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 want it to want it to stay the way it is because it it you're it, it won't happen. And if you stop paying attention to it, it will pass you by no matter what, no matter how smart you are. I mean, I know that because I saw that with Bill Watts. You know what I mean? When Bill Watts in the 80s was the smartest guy in wrestling or one of the smartest guys, I remember talking to him and I go, this guy is a freaking genius at, at, at psychology. And when he came back in 92 and hadn't watched in like four or five years, and I was like, it's only four or five years, and Bill had been in the business from you know, the 60s to 87, and he was a genius. But he, you know, and, I, and, I, and he still knew a lot, and he still understood a lot of stuff. But it's like by not watching, God, he was way behind the curve for a while there. And could he have caught up? Absolutely, he could have caught up. But the point is, is that the business had changed so much in those five years that, you know, just walking back in, he he had a lot of problems. And it's also hard to believe that Bill Watts would end up in the WWE Hall of Fame, like we referenced earlier. So, obviously, as we wrap it up, you know, please share with the listeners, if they don't already know already, how they can get the Wrestling Observer Newsletter and pretty much anything and everything in the world of Dave Meltzer, obviously the new Pro Wrestling Tees uh, store. I may have a suggestion yeah. for a shirt, but I'll save that for another day as well. But please share with the listeners where they can find everything in the world of Dave Meltzer. Just go to www.wrestlingobserver.com. And, yeah, we've got T-shirts out at Pro Wrestling Tees. But, yeah, you, those, you can subscribe to the website. I do audio shows like this uh, three to four times a week. We cover all the big shows in MMA and pro wrestling whether it's Japan, whether it's TNA, obviously WWE, um, you know, Ring of Honor, whatever. And then, um, um, you know, the newsletter's out every week and, you know, goes in-depth on the business, in-depth on the matches, uh, in-depth on, you know, the news. So um, it's all there. Unbelievable. And we thank you so very much for spending all this time and going over a lot of history. So uh, all the best from us and this is where uh, this is where I'll cut it but again thank you from the bottom of our hearts for taking this time obviously you know you you published a lot of stuff for us on the site and we appreciate that like you would not believe and uh you know hopefully uh continued uh, success for everybody around okay hey thanks i had a great time this was fun thank you very much very very honored to thanks for listening to the two man power trip of wrestling what the world is downloading.